Hi everyone, this is Shone. In this episode of Beta Mode, Chokai Makari, co-founder of Amina Ventures, shares her journey from Tier Alone to co-founding a venture focused on sustainable practices and female entrepreneurship in Africa. Her education at UC Berkeley and experiences in Sierra Leone inspired her to establish Amina Ventures, which supports African women entrepreneurs through sustainable, community-driven solutions. The venture, influenced by her background and various initiatives at Berkeley, aims to expand across Africa using data-driven methods to showcase its positive impact on community living standards. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're interviewing Chokai Makari, co-founder of Aminat Ventures, to provide her insights into sustainable practices in the African continent through venture philanthropy and female entrepreneurship. Hi, Chokai. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, y'all. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's start by having you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your background. Alrighty. So my name is Chiokai Makari. I'm co-founder and CEO of Aminat Venture Philanthropy, also known as Aminat Ventures. Graduated from UC Berkeley in 2022 with a dual degree. One of them was in international business and the other one was in global development, focusing specifically on Africa. I grew up in Sierra Leone for most of my life up until about 2014. So because of that, I've always had like a really strong connection to back home. My mom works in development work back home. So I've just been really tied to really improving the average living standards for the average Sierra Leonean. And I wanted to know different ways I could make that possible. So that's what's driving me right now. But I'm currently based in New York City, working in finance. Great. Yeah, that's a great summary. So you relocated to the U.S. around 2014, as you said. And was that to enroll at UC Berkeley for undergrad or was that for something else entirely? No, it's actually a funny story. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Ebola outbreak that kind of hit Sierra Leone, Guinea and Liberia. I was in secondary school at that time. I was in like form three going to form four. And I remember we had an assembly at school and they were like, oh, you guys, there's this crazy disease going around. Everyone be safe and nobody took it seriously. And I came to California for a summer because a lot of my mom's side, her family lives in California at that time. So we would come for like summer vacation. And then things just really hit the roof and all the schools closed. I wasn't able to go back. So then I just decided to, had to make the decision to do high school out here, ended up just doing high school in California and then applying to UC Berkeley where I ended up going. So actually it was not planned. I wasn't supposed to come to school here up until like maybe my junior or senior year and then try to go to college here. But because of that, I ended up starting my entire high school experience out here. I'd love to know more about your time at Berkeley and your experience as a student there. No, 100%. Just huge plug to UC Berkeley. Go Bears. I love that school. That was one of my dream schools. So when I got in, I couldn't even believe it. But my time at Berkeley was really transformational for me. I think it really allowed me to find myself, know what my values were. It challenged me to really question everything I thought I knew. And I think it's just an environment where there's such like an innovative buzz where everybody there is just constantly challenging themselves to think outside of the box. Almost any university, you could say that. But I think what really I appreciated about Berkeley was the fact that everyone was challenging themselves to do that for a greater good. Everyone was super passionate about something. So it wasn't enough to just be smart and innovative. You had to have a base or a community that you really cared about because people were going to push back on that. People cared so much about their respective communities. So everyone was questioning and really making sure, like, how are you doing things in the most sustainable and the most inclusive in the most innovative way? So that's definitely something I really loved about Berkeley. During my time there, like I said, I did a double major in national business and then global development through the global studies program. So I made sure that my 
extracurriculars and the things I involved, I was involved in those two channels. So like on the business side, I was part of the Haas Undergraduate Black Business Association, which was awesome, all about professional development, basically making Black students more competitive, enter the workforce. So that's just something I was really passionate about. Also ended up being getting my degree from the Haas School of Business. So I had the opportunity to just meet a lot of amazing people, teachers who are just doing amazing things. Like one of the classes I took there was Becoming a Change Maker with Professor Alex Budok. And that's actually where I met one of my other co-founders. And we actually came up with the idea for Aminat. So that was like an amazing experience. And all my other co-founders, Sophonie, Adjua, and Christine, we were like the only Black girls at the Haas School of Business at that time. So we're already friends. But then for us to come together and create something like this, it's been a really amazing opportunity. But yeah, Berkeley was transformational for me. And I think Aminat kind of came together through a collection of experiences. I spoke about becoming a change maker. I was also part of the Blum Center for Developing Economies. At the time, I was the Big Ideas Innovation Ambassador. And Big Ideas basically is like this grant or this fund that looks for really early stage ideas that students across the campus have. And it's like, okay, if you have a social impact idea that solves like a world's pressing social problem, as long as it falls into the, I think, eight social impact tracks that we had like health, financial inclusion, education, arts and social change, all these different categories, it had to be early stage. So you can't have like been in progress for about two years. We would give you like how to do a business plan, how to pitch it to people, all that stuff to actually make, take it from idea to conception and like actually executing that. And there's a lot of really cool ideas that have come from big ideas. I loved being a part of that entire initiative. I got to help people with their business plans. I got to see so many cool things start from like literally nothing to go into something. They took so many different forms. I was so inspired by the whole idea of big ideas that when I was in becoming a change maker with Christine, our final project was to come up with a change maker idea. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think it would be super dope to do something like big ideas, but changing the target audience instead of like the UC Berkeley target audience into African women specifically, we can connect them with funding, connect them with mentorship, actually give them everything that they need to, instead of what's the saying, like you teach a person how to fish versus giving somebody a fish, that whole thing. I just was really inspired by the whole idea of big ideas. But instead of having those social impact tracks, we just wanted it to be sustainability focused because at that opportunity, since we're starting it from the ground up, we would be able to make these businesses sustainable and efficient from point zero. So that's how the idea toyed around. We submitted a final project, got an A on it, by the way, and got some really good feedback from our professor. So that's just how everything happened. But that's my UC Berkeley experience leading into Aminat, a little summary. Incredible. We appreciate all of that. It sounds like you were heavily involved on the Berkeley campus and it had an impact on you starting Aminat. And we'll get back into Aminat later on this podcast, but we wanted to ask you a bit more about your research in African development. It appears like during your time at Berkeley, you're also involved in research. So just want to know what inspired you to do that. What did it start? And what have you learned from your research on African developments on the continent? A hundred percent. I would say my research took form in different ways. So for my global studies major, there is a research component. We had to take a class called research methodologies. And I think that's where I really started getting into the idea of how can I actually prove something to be true? Like, how can I come up with a hypothesis and prove something to be true? Unfortunately, that class was right when the pandemic hit. So I was really burnt out and I didn't really have as much energy to give into it as much as I wanted. 
So because of that, I actually found like the one professor on campus who specifically focused on Sierra Leone. There's a lot of professors who focus like on Africa, a bunch of different countries where there's one professor specifically who focused like on Sierra Leone and poverty alleviation. And I reached out to her and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm from Sierra Leone. I see that this is your interest area. I would love to just connect with you and meet with you. And after having a great conversation with her, we have this program called the Undergraduate Research Apprenticeship Program. And she actually recommended that she's going to put on an application for me and I could apply for that and do a year long fellowship under her. And she's a professor of anthropology. So the research I was doing for her was a lot more qualitative. And it actually was an amazing opportunity to combine like what my interests were alongside the stuff that I was doing in Sierra Leone at the time. So at the time, I was also part of the conception of this company called the Freetown Waste Transformers that my mom spearheaded and started and got like a huge grant for that's like basically turning waste to energy, which is really amazing. And during the time at Berkeley, I was working on a waste lab. So I was working through one of the books we had to read was like waste is infrastructure and coming with quotes and how to figure out, okay, if we're creating this company that's employing people to go around and gather the waste, how do we even start to think about the waste that they're producing? How do we make look at it more from an anthropological lens that we're not just telling people, do this, this, and this? It's more so, how's the waste a reflection of our society? I don't know. It was really interesting to add that layer to it because I think it allowed us to engage and interact with the people who we were working with in a way that I don't think that they're necessarily used to being interacted with. And it allows for a more conducive and collaborative process with the people who are working with us because they were able to give us a little bit more insight what works for them. Our huge thing in Sierra Leone is like anti-burning your trash. So being able to have conversations about the importance of that, what that does for the environment and everything. But working under Professor Firm was an amazing opportunity. Yeah, one semester was focusing on a waste lab. So just understanding waste and its implications to society, how it reflects on societies and what does that really mean? And then the other semester was focused on land grabs, which is actually really cool. And we got to work with an organization called Namati, who's all about just providing like legal justice for people, basically huge corporations that are going in, whether it be mining or plastic companies that kind of take hold in these places, uh, just taking the land away from the people because people don't have adequate and sufficient land rights. So we were just doing research into that. And it was actually also great because of COVID. I did one of my semesters in Sierra Leone. So I was able to just do some on-ground interviews, reach out to people, actually go and scape out one of these multilateral corporations and see it happening in real time. Like you guys literally set up shop here when you're not supposed to. So I think that really birthed my love for research and kind of being able to dive in a little bit deeper. But I think where it took a more quantitative lens was when I was working for the Center for Effective Global Action, which is all about amplifying African researchers and giving them the tools, the skills that they need and giving them also just the funding because the professor who runs it, who's like an amazing professor, I took one of his classes and have worked under him for two years. He is doing amazing and dope stuff. One of his research projects that's super renowned and famous was that he was able to do a randomized controlled trial that showed the importance of deworming. It was in East Africa. And he was able to raise all this money to show basically this is how much you're going to be impacting the lives and like the GDP of your economy if you invest in deworming your children because they live longer. They're able to go to school, attend more school days because of that, getting better education because of that. Like, you know, the long term effects. And like he actually yeah. did a whole dive into the case study of that. And I think that really birthed my fascination of taking it from, OK, how can we take the qualitative, turn that into the quantitative and like actually see what the results are, like through whether it's a formula, whether it's a regression, like actually doing it in a way that connects those dots and have it based in some type of truth. So I think that's where I was really able to see the amazing stuff that people are doing. He has a lot of amazing research out there. One of them has actually been a core thesis for the stuff that we're actually doing with Aminat as well. So it's been really exciting to merge those worlds. 
Awesome. So I actually want to hear more about your experience with Freetown and how that led to your passion about creating Amina. Was Amina an idea you had while you're doing that work or did that come together in a different way? No, that's a great question. I mean, that was definitely a collaborative effort. Like, I think the birthing part of it was in the Becoming a Changemaker class. Definitely me and Christine, we definitely pitched that. But I think where the idea and where the name came from. So my mom's name is Aminata. And so I found it Aminat because I just realized as we were conceptualizing and thinking about the idea, my mom was one of the first people in her family to really take us to a different level in terms of like the food chain. And she's always been a naturally entrepreneurial person. That's not something I would necessarily classify myself as. I think I'm more of an academic, but my mom is super entrepreneurial. She's always finding ways to do things. And I realized this is a trait that a lot of African women possess. I feel like they just don't have the money, the networks, the tools to actually make it happen. Because when she was younger, living in the village, like she used to sell popcorn, ways to like make money and stuff like that. Every time I'm in Sierra Leone, I see so many entrepreneurial women just doing what they can just to make a living. And I feel like a lot can be said for a lot of African women, considering that African women account for almost 60% of the informal economy on the continent. So I think just seeing that in real time and realizing I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone could be Aminata. This is what she's been able to accomplish just on her own of what is the American phrase? You pick yourself up by the bootstraps type thing. She did that and she's able to accomplish so much. And now going back into development work, bring in so much money for the country, impact so many lives, create so many jobs. Imagine if we find out Aminata at this stage and are able to give her funding, resources, a support group, financial education, all that stuff. If we're able to give it to her now, her impact would be able to just be compounded on versus her having to be that one success story. So that's how my time in Freetown, my family background factored into the Amina conception. So, Joka, it's very interesting to see how your experience at Berkeley, your work with Freetown Ways Transformers, and of course, your strong relationship with your mother inspired you to start Amina Ventures. So, can you describe what the organization is in as many sentences as you want? We want to get a sense of what you guys are doing and what your goals are. 100%. It's a venture philanthropy program. So, basically, what we aim to do is use people's philanthropic funds instead of being a reactive solution to be more of an active solution. So yeah, using philanthropic funds to basically find a community. And the way that we have it mapped out right now is kind of going like district by district or province by province so that we're taking more targeted and nuanced solutions. But if we're speaking in the case of one district or one province right now, it's finding a specific community and posing them the question of like, okay, what do you think is the biggest problem that you're facing in your community? Kind of similar to the big ideas okay, what is the pressing social challenge or or pressing social impact challenge that is really holding you back from realizing your full potential? We pose this to the community members and we find one female entrepreneur who has an idea that she's willing to tackle that the community buys into and have a sustainability angle to it, but solving whatever the community outlines to be that specific problem. What we hope to do is provide her with funding, mentorship, networks, and just the tools that she needs to really see this idea that she came up with by herself from idea to execution and really make sure that it's improving and impacting the community in the way the idea itself was birthed. So that's the whole idea. And the goal of Amina is really to empower women with everything that they need to kind of take on their own specific problems head on. Because what we realize in a lot of like philanthropic efforts or in a lot of like 
aid. People think that they know how to best solve other people's problems. And we're really trying to veer away from that approach of like, you tell us what you need and the problems that you're facing because you're the only person that's best suited to really solve them. Of course, we can help in whatever way that we can along the way, but we really want to empower that spirit of self-sufficiency and people actually having dignity and agency in solving their own problems so that it doesn't necessarily feel like we're prescribing a solution that is not really nuanced or effective. I'm curious to know, have you been on the ground yet in Sierra Leone and being able to talk to these entrepreneurs? And what have you learned? What have you seen? No, 100%. Actually, we were just in Sierra Leone as a team in April for our launch and essentially the kickoff of our pilot. So for the past two years, we've really just been doing the groundwork and really trying to get our team together, understand what it is that we want to do, do the idea generation part of it. Because like I mentioned before, this started off as a class project, so it wasn't necessarily 100% thought through. We applied for one or two grants, but it was more so like in the beginning stages. So we really wanted to make sure that before we took any steps, we were really thinking about it all the way through. In April, we decided to go and do our inaugural town hall in Port Loco, which is Northwest Sierra Leone. And it was a really amazing opportunity because, again, we just posed the question to these community members. We had over 50 stakeholders in attendance and over 50 of those people were women, but they were able to speak to what they were really struggling with. And I think Issues kind of ranged from like microloans, not necessarily having the impact that you would think that they have. So I think microloans, being able to like self-start businesses, it's usually like the best. Literally, it's a microloan, it's low interest, all those things. But there was a lot of complaints just due to the fact that a lot of the time these microloans and having to pay them back because of the higher interest rates that they're used to ends up driving these women away from their communities just out of fear or embarrassment. So not only does it dig them into a bigger hole, but now it's like that fear of isolation because the exchange rate is so volatile. Even if they do make a profit on the businesses that they're doing, they hardly ever realize that profit because they have to use it to pay back the loans, things like that. Or a lot of the time, because they are literally at that poor to ultra poor target level as defined by the BRAC's poverty graduation program that we've been using also as a framework, you realize that a lot of the times when they get these funds, before they can even fully apply and adequately apply it to their businesses, they have to pay for their kids' school fees or uniforms. So whatever is like left over isn't even enough for them to really put into their business. So they don't really have that stream of income. And all this information was super helpful and important to us because we said, since it's a plan, it's a no interest model. We don't want to see that. Our point is to not see the money back. Where we want to see like the impact and the return on investment is this thing doing what it said it would do for the community because we're only investing in community solutions for the most part. And it also made us focus on the importance of having a wellness stipend built into our model because the whole thing is if we're going to be giving this woman or this cohort of women this money to focus on their business, we want them to focus solely on their business so that the data that we're tracking is really reflective of, okay, if they're giving 100% into their business, we're also very cognizant of the fact of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like before you can even get to certain levels, you need to make sure that your basic needs are met. So for whatever donations or funding that we get, even though we know how much we're planning to give to the business, a portion of that is always going to be a monthly stipend that we're giving to these women so that the school fees need, at least like they have food to eat. So they're not worried about, oh, when I get this money, how am I going to use it to focus on my basic needs is more so how can I really put this into realizing my full potential in this business? And we're gathering the data on that because essentially our pilot program is like the ground research that we're doing to see how much do we need to give? Do we need to change the allocation? What are we really trying to see and what is going to give the best impact on the business, essentially the community solution? Great, great. And I understand you're probably the first organization of your kind to probably do something like this. Is that correct? 
So there's a saying in Sierra Leone that nothing's new under the sun. So we literally got our inspiration from ideas, big idea. And I know that Trickle Up is also a huge organization that's doing something like that. But I will say for the targeted community approach that we're doing, at least from what I know, I do think so, especially considering the fact that like even within Sierra Leone, the provinces that we operate in, each one is going to have a different community solution. Each one's going to have a different budget. Everything is so extremely nuanced. So I do think because of that and the fact that we're really focusing on empowering the woman in addition to empowering the business, which empowers the community, I do think that threefold approach is what really makes us unique. So sustainability is really a pillar of your organization. Could you expand more on that? What does sustainability look like in the context of Amina? No, that's a great question. I think our whole team, maybe this is a Berkeley thing, but our whole team, it's ingrained in us of like, okay, whatever we're doing, it has to be giving back to the environment in some way or at the very minimum, just good for the environment. Like we don't want to be contributing to things that are just going to compound on the degradation of the environment. That's never been in our mission, our plan at all. So I thought it would just be really fascinating to focus on ideas, especially considering we're going to be helping build them from the ground up for them to just essentially like net zero from conception. How can we find ideas that are innovative, but also just good for the environment so that they're sustainable long-term? Like we don't want to create this one solution that works really well, but then it's not even sustainable down the line because it's like bad for the environment. It kind of defeats the purpose because when you think about development and the well-being of the community, that also means the environmental well-being of these communities as well. So we were really mindful of that. And what I can say with the first project that we're like focusing on, the lady who pitched it at our town hall, she talked about community fridges and added the caveat that they be renewable community fridges or renewable energy. So for the most part, we've been working with this company, Easy Solar, to kind of see what innovations that they have, how we can kind of work to really make that a reality, which I also think is just really cool because one, the community fridge ideas are already great because there's so many like traders and people who actually sell things and perishable items that are not able to really maximize the profit that they need. And they were saying that, especially during the rainy season, because of the dam, they get a lot of electricity. But when it's the dry season, there's hardly any electricity. So to really have a fridge that maintains perishables that allows them to keep their business going and another stream of income that the whole entire community can use for the most part while it's still being managed by this one entrepreneur who came up with this idea is like, okay, multiple streams of income for everybody. That's amazing. But then also having that renewable component of, okay, at the end of the day, it's not just like a big bulky fridge that's sucking up all this electricity. We're getting a renewable or solar powered fridge. That's just an awesome caveat. So that's what we mean in terms of like having, making sure that it has some type of sustainability or environmental element that is benefiting the environment in some way. As you said, it seems like what you, you're doing with Vengeful Amatory in this case has been explored in a different context, but your own spin on it is you're empowering women in these communities to really drive the market by supporting them financially. And I do have a question regarding that financial support. Are you getting from the from a US-based resource? Are you bootstrapping this? Where exactly is funding coming from to support these women? So that's a great question. Right now, we're definitely in crowdfunding place. We're applying to a bunch of different grants. There's a lot of like social impact grants we've been going through. So different accelerator programs to get funding. Also, when we went to Freetown, a lot of people were really just interested in it. I wasn't expecting to get the feedback that we did. So a lot of like businesses out there were reaching out. We're like, okay, if this is something that you're doing, we would love to put our philanthropic dollars with you. So that's also something that's been really cool of like community members and businesses in Freetown reaching out and wanting to actually see a little bit more so that they can tag along. But for the most part, yeah, we're targeting U.S. philanthropic efforts. One of the things that we're in the process of doing right now is getting our 501c3 status so that it could be a tax write-off because a lot of people, especially considering we work in finance, a lot of people have just been interested in 
this just being an innovative idea to really channel or use their charitable dollars. And we have a great network of people who are really interested in putting their money here. So I would say for the most part, the funding is US-based, but also been a lot of support from friends and family who are also just interested, but definitely businesses in Sierra Leone who are seeing this and wanting to help push the needle forward. Fascinating. So you mentioned that Amina Ventures is really a collaboration with a few others and you have some co-founders. So can you tell us a bit about them? Um, did you meet them at Berkeley or from your other walks of life? No, 100%. So I'm going to start in the order in which they joined the team because I think each time somebody joined, we were able to really fine-tune the mission of Amina a little bit more. So me and Christine, I would say definitely from the start, and Christine Chinuba, she was UC Berkeley class of 2021. Also somebody who I met at Haas. She's just fantastic. Also, so she was at Goldman a year before I ended up going there. So she has a finance background, also works in finance now, but ended up switching roles and has been really instrumental and really conceptualizing and helping make the ideas that we all have into the reality. So she's very detail oriented, very much about putting pen to paper. So she's been fantastic. She's Nigerian. And when she came on the team, I feel like it really helped this thing of like, oh, I think this would be cool. And to like, wait, no, this is cool. Let's make it happen. The next person to join the team was Sophonie Gedahoon, also one of my class of 2022 UC Berkeley, one of my really close friends. Also, we were in Haas together and she came on board and was really able to ground out the mission. Okay, the mentorship, actually empowering these women because she has her own nonprofit on her own that she started when she was a teenager, Neighborhood to Nations, which is really amazing. And she really, I think, helped bring like the heart of Amina a little bit more of like, okay, now that we've made this idea into the reality, how do we really touch in with the people and like really understand, oh, how we can really make the biggest impact? So she's amazing and she's Ethiopian and I'm giving the nationalities for a reason. I'm not just like plugging that in there. And then the last co-founder to join the team is Adwa Brittany Boateng. She is fantastic. Also Berkeley Hawes graduate, class of 2022, another really good friend of mine. She's Ghanaian. And I think when she joined the team, it really just made the whole thing complete of because she also has a nonprofit that she had started during her time at Berkeley called She Lives Now. And it's completely just focused on empowering and mentoring women. So I think everyone having like their own different backgrounds and areas of expertise really helped make Aminat this well-rounded, fully complete vision that we could actually move forward on. And the reason why I mentioned everyone's nationalities is because, as you could see, all of us are from different places in Africa. And I think what really aligned us with this mission is, like I had mentioned before, Aminat could be anyone. There's so many Aminats across the continent. And we're doing the pilot phase right now in Sierra Leone because I feel like there's the easiest of access for me in terms of like connection. I know how we can actually get some data, get some things moving. But once this has been up and running for, and we want to actually see the results, the goal is to go to each one of our respective countries and trying this model out, adding the nuance that we know from each one, but really trying that model out. And right now, as I'm seeing, because we're doing Sierra Leone, when we go to Nigeria, Christine's going to spearhead that because she knows her people best. When we go to Ghana, Audra's going to spearhead that because she knows her people best. And when we go to Ethiopia, Sophie's going to spearhead that. So again, doing the research, trying it out where we can, at least just doing something of like building the building blocks. Because it's like, as of right now, we're beginners. We don't really know what we're doing, but we're trying our best to make something happen. Five years from now, after really putting this into practice, this could be really something that's impacting the lives of a lot of people. So we really just want to make sure that we're getting our time in early, learning as much as we can. And they've all been amazing, like coming to Sierra Leone. Like that was Christine and Audra's first time ever going to Sierra Leone. And they were really able to just really connect with the people. Sophie had come with me, I think maybe two years before that. So it's just been an amazing opportunity to work with these driven, caring ladies. And I feel like whatever blind spots any of us have, we really cover them. So it's really a fantastic team. 
And I would like to highlight that we just actually added two new interns who are going to be joining us on this meeting. We have one based in Sierra Leone and one based in the U.S. So literally the meeting that we have after this is going to be their first onboarding meeting. So our team is expanding. But yeah, that's the Aminat team. It's really great to hear how diverse your team is and how it's growing in real time. I'd like to know a bit more about any future projects or things that you have working on, like the next steps for Aminat. No, 100%. So April, we did our proof of concept, essentially going in and seeing like, okay, this is the town hall. This is what people say that they need. People, we were there for literally like three hours of just like everyone getting a chance to speak. And then now I think about three or four people actually pitched ideas. And then we had the community vote on the one that they wanted us to fully support. So it was all community driven. So people, we know that people are really fully behind this community fridge idea and it's going to impact people. So now what we've been doing between that time and now has been really cultivating our curriculum and like getting the funding to really make this happen, which sounds so crazy when I say it out loud, but it's like the program is supposed to be nine months in three phases. And the first phase is just really working out basic accounting, building out the business model, really being able to brainstorm and, okay, you say you want to do the community fridges. How do you plan to do that? What does this look like? Kind of like just doing the mind map just again, so that she has these skills in case she wants to do anything else. It's not just, oh, we're giving you the community fridges and we're bouncing. We want to make sure that we're actually cultivating an entrepreneur, especially given all of our resources and backgrounds of the fields that we work in and the school that we went to, to be able to really pass that on to somebody who could really actually use this. So that's what we've been doing for the past three months is just like processing the data that we have, putting that in the database, building out our curriculum, trying to build out our team and get liaisons to really make sure that this can really take it to the next level. And then, yeah, I guess right now we're onboarding the one person that we've chosen to like back. Her name is Lovetta Isatusase, just making sure that she's reading through the contract. She knows what the program actually entails so that there's deliverables that we expect from her to like, we want to be checking in with her at least twice a month, things like that. And also figure out, okay, what is her current level of monthly income, her current level of responsibilities? So because we haven't gotten to the funding stage of where we're going to actually start giving her the money for it, because we want to make sure that she has the foundational training and like actually goes through the program before we're like, okay, now that you've done the budget, you know what you're going to be using it for. Here's the money to execute that. But in the meanwhile, still giving her like that wellness stipend to make sure that she can really be her best self when she's attending these programs figuring out how much is that going to cost and like how much do we want to be giving her a month to make sure that her her basic needs are met so that it's not necessarily a struggle for her to even show up and be her full self for this program. And the program actually, in terms of the curriculum planning, that's what our next meeting is all about of her us onboarding her. That's why we have our interns coming on board because that's what we've been doing for the past couple of months since we came back is really just, okay, sent the contracts out. We've been finalizing everything and now she's on board. And then this phase of kind of just getting the exploratory data, giving her like the foundational training will probably last till the end of October. That's great. I really like that short to midterm plan, just getting more people on board. And I do have a follow up question regarding that. I know you guys in your organization, you've looks like you've started to make progress, high idea on your quest for funding. We should have best of luck on that. So thinking long term, we're talking five, maybe 10 years in the future. Where do you see I mean, Ventures at that point? So right now, our pilot's only one person, but ideally, we would hope to have a whole cohort of women so that each of their businesses can feed into each other. We want to do like a huge savings pool kind of thing of like, okay, this is your cohort. This is your community of women, especially considering that they're all going to be in different locations. So it's going to be good for them to be able to like bounce off of each other. Like, okay, this problem that you had here, how'd you go about solving that? 
just creating a network of entrepreneurs who are facing completely different issues, but are the same in the fact that they're challenging and tackling them in a way that's sustainable, very inclusive, and just very forward thinking. 10 to 15 years, I hope to see Amina in a variety of countries. As of right now, Sierra Leone is just the beginning, but we really hope to make this continent wide. So hopefully we would have at least started our next leg, either one of the countries I mentioned before, whether it's Ethiopia, Ghana, or Nigeria, and then beyond as our team continues to expand. What I see for Amina in the next 10 years, the researcher in me is kind of like, I want to be able to say we were able to provide a woman with X amount of funding and over 10 years of longitudinal data, we've been able to see that she's improved her community's standard of well-being by X percent, which shows that if you as a government put X percent into this entire community, kids are going to be attending more school because their school fees are paid. Kids are not going to be necessarily getting as much illness because or getting sick as much from diseases and stuff because they're well taken care of and they're not necessarily hungry all the time. And this leads to them going to school for longer, being able to have potential to make a lot more money. And down the line, it's increasing the national economy by 0.5%. That's what the data that we're tracking right now. All the questions that we were asking at the town hall that we gathered was like, how many kids do you have? How many days of school are they missing on average? Things like that so that we can really track it and see Once we give you this money, the days of schools missed go from three days a week to maybe one day a week, because that completely impacts the trajectory of somebody's life down the line. I was able to learn that. Shout out to Ted Miguel and his class that really showed the impacts of looking at data over 15, 20 years of, oh, all these kids who got dewormed are making 10% more than the kids who ended up not getting dewormed. And that's why you need to invest into this. That's what I hope to see within the next 10 years, a long string of data that's able to really showcase the importance of investing into the communities from the bottom up, because the bottom up is always going to go back into the top down. That's a great answer. We wish you the best of luck on that. So Chokai, it seems like you've done a lot in the past few years. You graduated from Berkeley last year, and now you're co-founding Amina Ventures with your friends and colleagues. So what some people in the audience might want to know is what really inspires you and what motivates you to keep going, not just in terms of Amina Ventures, but in terms of all the other activities that you've been involved with in the past, and I'm sure activities that you'll be involved with in the future. That's honestly a great question because I feel like Recently, I've gotten to the point where I've been feeling a little bit burnt out. I feel like there's so much to do and not a lot of time to fit all the things I want to do in that amount of time. But what I would say that keeps me going is a couple of things. One, I would definitely say my mom, just seeing her really dedicate her life to this work and like the impact that she's been able to make has been so extremely inspiring for me of just actually seeing like from nothing to actually creating like successful businesses, contributing to the economy of a country that she really cares for so deeply. That's a huge motivating factor for me. And I know that if she could do it, I can also do it. Two, I think I mentioned it on one, but I'll be so honest. I love the people of Sierra Leone so much. I love my country so much. And I think one thing that really always pushes me forward is I don't think I would be in the positions that I was in if it wasn't for the people of Sierra Leone and the country itself making me who I am today. And I think it's really important that I pay it forward. I think it's really important that I'm a part of the economic restoration and transformation of that country because there's so many people, especially coming here through a context like Ebola, there's so many people who would have killed for an opportunity. That's what really honestly put things into perspective for me. I'm sitting from a position of privilege where I'm able to be in spaces where I wouldn't have been otherwise. And I just need to make sure that in whatever space I'm in, I'm amplifying the Sierra Leonean name 
hailing the flag high, making sure that I'm advocating on behalf of Sierra Leone and her people, because especially after having all the education and like the experiences I've had, we're a country that deserves so much because we produce so much and we have so much, but our people are never on the receiving end of it. It's always outsourced somewhere else. And I think if there's anything that I can do to make sure that it's even a percent of that is coming back to us because we deserve it. I think that's something that I wake up and I feel very passionate about continuing to do my work because I think it's 100% necessary. And last but not least, I think one thing that really does keep me going is the saying very much, if not now, then when? If not you, then who? We can't keep waiting for other people to be the ones to save us or be the ones to make that change. Anyone has that ability to make that change. Anyone has the ability to be a leader and a change maker. And I feel like it's so often that people get jaded from actually doing the work because it's like, oh, Africa's corrupt or that it's been like this forever, this, that, and the next. But if you are saying that, and like, if it's not you who's going to change it, then who are you waiting for to be that change? So I think that's something that always really inspires me and, and keeps me going, even when I'm like tired and frustrated and I feel like I'm moving, but I'm still in the same place. It's like, no, the factors at work are created to make you feel like that so that you don't contribute to the country that you're supposed to be contributing to. But no, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? That's an amazing response. And just to wrap up, this is something we often do on the beta mode. We love interviewing people like you, people who are not just driven and ambitious, but also adding value to the continent in their own unique way. We would like to hear from you regarding who else would be a great guest to have on the podcast to discuss what they're doing in their own respective space. Okay, so this one, I'm sorry, is going to be twofold. So, you know, I'm always going to have to plug my mom, but she's doing really dope stuff. Her name is Amina Sadumbuya. She is the CEO and founder of the Freetown Waste Transformers, and they're doing really amazing stuff, turning waste into energy. One of their actually like plants right now is powering a whole women's shelter in Freetown. It's been endorsed and co-signed by the mayor of Freetown. And on top of that, they got a bunch of funding from UKID. So that's really awesome. And I think that's a really great one. And also funding from the GSMA Innovation Fund. So right now they're digitizing that entire process for the waste collectors. It's a little bit more seamless and they're able to really separate the waste in order to get the correct feedstock that they need to turn it into electricity. So definitely my mom, I think she'd be amazing on this podcast, but also somebody who's a little bit more grassroots and who's really inspiring to me. I would say Haja Isatuba. She's the founder of Uman for Uman. She does renewable sanitary pads and menstrual products in Sierra Leone. I think that is amazing. I actually have a couple of her products and it has an environmental sustainability route. And she constantly is going back to schools across Freetown and actually giving out free pads. Actually, when we were there in April, my co-founder, Sophie and Adwa's nonprofits partnered up with her and were able to deliver over a thousand pads at the St. Joseph Convent. So that's really amazing. And I think she's just doing spectacular work and she's really a trailblazer. She actually just won a scholarship to continue her environmental education to really go into that work. So I would definitely say Haja Isatuba. Uman for Uman is the name of her company, and she's amazing, which translates to woman for woman. Great, great. And um, it's very clear that your mom has had a huge impact on your journey here. So no surprise that you're plugging her. And as for the other potential guests, we'll definitely look into them. And that actually wraps it up for us here. Chokai, was really great having you on the podcast. We wish you, your co-founders, and Amina Ventures the best of luck on whatever avenue you decide to take in the short term and long term. And we'll be keeping an eye out to see how you progress. Thank you again. 